Welcome to Coffee Talk with Liquid Shano 1973, an inspirational podcast about the ups and downs of life and everything in between. Here's your host, Shane Lakita. Hey guys, good morning. I just wanted to reach out to you real quick to talk about this interview that I did over the weekend that's coming up here on the podcast. I know it's something that we definitely wanted to incorporate a lot more into the podcast itself to bring on people that are inspirational to me, that help me to stay focused, to help to drive me the right direction. And I'll tell you this, the interview that I did over the weekend was a follow-up interview to the email that I had read a few weeks back on this podcast from a veteran, a Navy veteran that had struggled with mental health and struggled with some things and really lived in this moment of regret and different things that he had lived with through loss of fellow veterans and different things that he had been through. And so I read that letter to a lot of you and some of you it really touched the heart of and people were like really resonating with to say thank you so much for reading that letter and helping me to understand that I'm going through something that somebody else along with me is going through it as well. So it's helped out a lot of people. So the one thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to bring him on and I wanted to have a conversation with him. And his name is Ty the Doc Watson. And we took the time to be able to sit down together, just he and I, to have a great conversation. We did it actually over livecast. And so the audio isn't as perfect or as rich as what this is. But I think you'll really enjoy this conversation between Doc and myself, where we have become friends over the TikTok app that's out there and different things that we're trying to be able to do. And throughout time, you can see that we've connected with each other over a very short amount of time. So you'll feel that connection when you're in this interview. Listen to the interview. You can listen to some of the things that we talk about, how the system's broken for our veterans and different mental health aspects of society in general. But I really enjoyed talking to Ty. And I really hope that even if just one or two different veterans that are out there can hear the message that are here and hear the message that we're sharing on this podcast, we can help them and get them going the right direction. That's all that really matters, right? So enjoy this interview, guys. I really enjoyed doing it. Ty, thanks so much for taking the time to be able to sit down with me and do this interview. And we'll go ahead and get things started right now. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Coffee Talk with Liquid Shano 1973. As you know, and as that lovely voice in the beginning of the podcast here said, I am your host, Shane Lakita, and I've got a really, really special guest here today. We talk a lot about trying to bring people on that add value, that bring a lot of you know, really good topics of conversation. And as you guys know, I play in the space of mental health and doing great things and investing in others and investing in yourself. And if you listen to the podcast, you know that that's the theme across the board of what this is all about and why I'm trying to make a difference in the world, uh, one action and one voice at a time. I have a special guest with me today, and, and I'll go through the introduction here just a little bit with the fact that a couple episodes ago, if you recall, and you were listening to the podcast, I had an email that was sent over to me from a uh, uh, a veteran that I met on TikTok. His name was Ty, and we basically have been corresponding back and forth. And Ty uh, went through a lot as he got out of the military and and was going through some different stuff. And we'll hear more about this in the, in, the, in today's podcast. But you remember me reading a letter from him, 
around an experience that he had. And it got really good responses from a lot of folks on the podcast. I got some emails. I got some messages, some heartfelt stuff about making sure that we invest in our veterans and men in general with the mental health side of suicide rates being so high and all this other stuff that we have. But I have as a guest here today, as a follow-up to that email, I've got the man, the myth, the legend, Ty Watson, right here on my podcast uh, that we're going to be able to have an interview with and talk to today. Hey, Ty, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate that intro. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> the man, the myth, the legend. You know, I mean, you can't hype it up any more than that. No, you really can't. <laughs> That'd be up for a big stage, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so guys, uh, like I said, I opened it up. A lot of it was about the fact that you know Ty served in the military. He was a um, he was a Navy corpsman, and basically he worked a lot with Marines. So he's got Marine in his blood. You know what I mean? Even though he was a Navy corpsman, he's Marine through, through and through. A lot of times, as he and I talk, I hear a lot of the references around Marines. So Ty, give us a little bit of a snapshot and a, a good little maybe a, a storyline of where you were and what you've done and where you've been when you were in the military side of it and tell us a little bit about that. Well, I joined the Navy, let's see, in uh, July. I went in July 13th, 2001. So I'm pre-9-11. I was actually yep. in boot camp when 9-11 happened. We get boot camp is done with. I get to Corman, Corman School, Core School, and all the males are piling off the bus. And they're like, where are all the males at? So we raise our hand and they're like, congratulations, you're going with the Marines. And I just remember asking my recruiter when I was in there going, hey, what's this Marine stuff? And he's like, oh, don't worry about that. You'll be in a hospital or a clinic. And I fast forward to 2002 when I get to Hawaii as my first duty station with 2-3 and spent three years there. I did some time at Great Lakes, the hospital. And then um, while I was there, I you know, pretty much was losing my mind being stuck behind the desk, volunteered to go to Iraq. That was my first tour. And then um, I came home. Went to were Lejeune. you on shore duty at the time that you were there? Like, so you were on shore duty and then you volunteered to go and then they, they That's wow. Right. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it, I was with the grunts in Hawaii. So you take a young kid who, his first three years were spent with that Marine Corps structure and the, the work hard, party hard lifestyle. And they go into, you put me behind a desk when I'm used to getting my hands dirty, pushing papers. And I just, I, my career wasn't going where I needed it to be. Right. I wasn't mentally, you know, prepared for something like that. So I volunteered to go to Iraq. You know, I had a lot of people asking me like, you'd rather go to Iraq than be here. And I'm like, well, yeah. you got to do what you got to do. Right. You know, I was lucky when I was over there because I volunteered. I didn't know who I was going with or where I was going, but uh, I ended up with second lad out of Cherry Point and lad L-A-A-D stands for low altitude air defense. Hmm. Well, what kind of air defenses are we going to do in Iraq at the time? And this was in February, 2007 through September 07, I was there. So we ended up just doing mounted patrols. So, I mean, it wasn't anything that I saw. I didn't see any, you know, gunfights, didn't get shot at, nobody sure. got hurt, no explosions or anything like that. So, but it well, was, was I mean, you got to think about that. So, here you are, Corman, you go through school, you go through all the stuff you're going through. Now you're behind a desk, which I, I fully understand. I can't, like, literally, my job now, which is great, my regular job that I do outside of this is I travel. I go from place to place. I'm out and about. I've got to be. I can't sitting behind a desk and me. They don't. They don't go well hand in hand, right? But how brave that was internally, right? Uh, when you think about it now, at the time with everything going on with with um, after 9/11, or or maybe was this? Did you volunteer before 9/11 or after? 
well, I joined the Navy before 9-11, but right. when I was at my duty station in Chicago, it was at Great Lakes. So yeah. I was there from 05 to 2008. So it was in 2007 that I volunteered to go. Okay. Gotcha. So, uh, and risky in general, right? When you think about it, like people in general, uh, we don't think of it that way because I was the same exact way. When I joined, I was uh, the Persian Gulf War back in 91. I graduated high school and I was nothing but 17 years old, fresh behind the ears. And I was like, I went to a little bit of a school, did some electronics or whatever. And then boom, they shipped me right off to it. And for me, I had friends and family asking, why would you do that when the Persian Gulf's going on and you got all these other conflicts going on everywhere? And I, I didn't even think twice about it. Number one, uh, military's in my blood, and it always has been with my dad and my grandfather and my uncle and all this stuff. But on, and on internally, I, I thought to myself, well, I, I needed to – well, personally, I needed to be able to clean up my life because I was a young punk kid and I needed to be able to have some sort of direction in my life, right? But So I, I, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to go do that. But that was risk. And there was a lot of people that uh, said to me, why are you doing that? Now, I knew I joined the Navy, which is usually pretty off, hands off, right? We're not normally out there in the field, in the trenches, but we carry them. I carried all, all, all the all the um, ships that I was on. We carried all Marines, 2,000 right. Marines on an LPH. We came off with the hovercrafts going off the back and the helos running. And it was like, wow, it was intense, you know, but That's fun to be on, by the way. Oh man, just incredible. <laughs> you know, it's funny because uh, when you talk about it, those ships are all, uh, they're all square bottoms, right? They're all, they're, they're not, none of them are like your regular battleships that are just kind of like buoyant and just like whatever. These things were rocks, man. They were like huge beasts <laughs> of ships, man. It was so amazing. But so anyway, I got the same exact thing on my end when I said I was going in for uh, during Persian Gulf. Did you when so when you decided to volunteer? Tell me more about that. Did you get some flack from family or anybody like that when you were doing that, or did like how did you handle that? No, actually, you know what? It was you know they were a little surprised, but I think they understood. Like I said, I went from this Marine Corps grunt lifestyle to right. sitting behind a desk, and I think I you know I took my frustrations out on you know the bottle and, you know, I, right. I drank a lot, you know, before I left Hawaii to go to Great Lakes, my unit that I was attached to was getting ready to move up to go to Afghanistan, Iraq. I can't remember which one it was. My old man is a master. Well, he's retired now, but was he's an active duty master chief at the time. I called him and I said to him, all right, pops, I need to ask you a question, but I need you to talk to me like your junior sailor and not like your son. <laughs> you know, that's how I led into it. And I was like, I have an opportunity where I could deploy to Afghanistan or Iraq. I can't remember which one it was, or I can go to Great Lakes. And he was like, he thought about it for a second, was like, the war is always going to be there. Go to Great Lakes, get your off-duty education, you know, and better your career there. And then afterwards, then you can, you know, you're going to, like he said, the war is going to be there forever. So right, right. then you can take care of stuff afterwards. And I, maybe there was a little bit of guilt after, you know, going to Great Lakes, knowing that my Marines were going over there, you know, right. so that opportunity came up. It was immediately just raised my hand. Like I, I knew that personally where I was at, I was either going to get in trouble and my neighborhood career was going to come to a, an abrupt end, or I was probably going to do something dumb and hurt myself as far as drinking a drive-in or, you right. know, whatever the case may be. Not like suicide thoughts, just being dumb and young and yeah. really poor decisions. 
Well, I, I, well, so I, like I just opened up with for me, I needed it for focus. I needed it for somebody to be able to tell me, listen, you got to go this way. You got to go this route. I needed that in my life because I, I, I was, I, I was just dumb. I was like, I was young and I was like, and especially when, uh, even when I first joined the military and I went overseas, you, you had talked about hitting the bottle. That was, that was a big thing for me because when I went overseas, it was a, uh, you know, I was 17 or I just turned 18 and in the States it's 21 and older. Right. But over there I, you drink everywhere you want to. And it was right. like, Whoa, and you're an adult. And I'm like, Whoa, I don't even know what adults uh, being an adult is about or anything like that. <laughs> so for me, I used it. I think alcohol is something that was pretty common a lot in the military. It really was because of the fact of whether you're away from families, whether you're away from, you know, loved ones, stress environment and stuff like that. So we'll talk about that in a minute. But for me, that was a big thing for me. So, okay, here you are. You go overseas. You're heading over to per or over to Iraq. That's where it was Iraq. And what, yeah. what, what's next? What's next in your career? Uh, I did uh, my time over there, you know, and yeah. when I came back from Iraq, I had an opportunity to work down in Fort Bragg with the army. And this was where my dad was at for most of his career. And it was pretty much a career changer, you know, and it was one of those things that if I look back at it now, I don't have any regrets when I have in the military, but this time frame from like, I think it was, I want to say May, April, May timeframe until end of July, I was with this unit and it, it's a career changer for you. It would have, I would still be in the Navy if I went to messed up, but I, you know, I was still young. I was immature. I thought I knew more than what I, what I did. Yeah. And it, I got drunk one night, showed my, you know, rear end and they showed me the door, you know, I ended right. up in June after that, you know, but that time frame in that idea, it made me grow up. You know, you talk about, you know, needing that structure. I think that was the hard part for me going from Hawaii to great lakes where I had this structure you know, a 19 year old kid or a 19 year old man, however you want to put it, you know, there's still the Marine Corps gives you that structure when, yeah. to eat, when to sleep, when to use the bathroom. You know, there's certain things that we have to live by. Otherwise, people get hurt or people get die, you know, and then I get put into this very mature adult type environment. And I think it was some part overshadowed by my father, who was still active duty at the time, you know, and everybody that that Watson name and what was supposed to carry with it. I think right. it was too big for me. And I just drank a lot. I wasn't happy. And I ended up, like I said, I left there. I think it was July. That super added pressure to have, to have a master chief for dad and to have that name that was there and stuff like that. Did you, or was that internal pressure or was that external? Like people were putting yeah, pressure, definitely on internal pressure. It was definitely internal pressure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, but I had this because I grew up around it, though. You know, I was right. around all of those people, and I did too. My dad was a my dad was a senior chief, and my stepmother was a master chief. Yep. I mean, I, I remember as a kid having that type of camaraderie that my my old man had, and where he was at, and I just expected that to happen. My expectations right. were that it was going to be the same. You know, do work and expectations that we, regardless of rank and whatever else may be going on, that it was just a given. And it, it wasn't, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I recently reached out to one of my senior leaders while I was there. And, you know, I basically apologized to him for being, you know, immature and not being in the right mindset, you know, and expecting more than I should have. You yeah. know, he responded and was like, you know, he apologized too. You know, I was definitely a, what do they call it? A, a learning shit, you know, a learning type environment for him. Like he yep. never dealt with somebody as difficult as I was. So it was a definitely learning curve for him. And I think that we both learned a lot from it. But like I said, that time it was kind of, 
you know, more of a regret. But I ended up with the Marines in uh, with three nine out of Lejeune, and that was probably some of the best times of my life outside of being in Hawaii. I met friends that I still talk to, you know, that's where I ended up meeting my wife, you know? So, I mean, it, hindsight, it worked out for me that I, I left Bragg and ended up at Lejeune, but. Well, you know, I, I also think about the fact of during the times we were making dumb decisions because I also made dumb decisions. I, I got, um, I was on the ship and uh, I'll tell you a story, uh, which I haven't told many either, man. Listen, you're opening up. I'm opening up. This is what <laughs> happens on this thing. So I, um, I was on the ship and I, I, we had working on electronics and I was working on a communication equipment for the Marines. When they hit the beach, they have these little via the VLF broadcast radios that they can actually take wherever they're going to or HF from whatever else. So I was sitting there working on one of them and there was a, like a transformer in there and, and I was dumb and I thought I was, I was Mr. Cool or whatever else. I'm just going to work with no safety precautions or whatever. And I had like the shorting uh, a rod over here and I had my hand on the other side of the equipment and it hit this 5,000 volt DC like oh. capacitor. And it, 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 so we were rolling and I, it pulled me in. And so basically the DC, if you're familiar with DC and AC, AC is what comes out of your outlets in the wall and kind of has that fluttering that goes, you know, that right. weird feeling. DC is direct current. It's like, wow, it's like huge. <laughs> so I got pulled in. And if it wasn't for the guy that was sitting next to me, the electronic guy, electronic technician that was in the shop with me, he basically grabbed me and he yanked me off of the thing. I would I would have been dead if I, any any longer that I was on there. So, you know, I'm, I'm falling off. I got an entry part of my hand. It came off of my shoulder because I was like, you know, it kind of went through, but it didn't go through the heart, which was good, right? Oh, no kidding. Saved my life. I, you know, all this different stuff. So what the captain did, the captain of the ship wanted to make an example of me. And he basically says, okay, we're going to do captain's mast in front of the whole entire crew, Marines, Navy, it doesn't matter. And here I am on the, on the flight deck, a, a captain's mast. It's like uh, a big show that they put on. But so here's the thing. At the time I was angry because I'm like, why would you make an example of me like that? I understand I made a mistake and I know I was young and I was dumb, but I, on hindsight, the way I look back on it, I was telling my wife this the other day, all these little things that I experienced while I was in the military, good, bad, or indifferent, no matter where they were, made me who the man I am today. Right. Absolutely. That experience was something that I look back on now and I go, you quickly became a man because now all of a sudden you have to face up, fess up to whatever the things that you do that are like not good. And wherever you're at in front of your peers, in front of everybody made an example of and basically eat it a little bit and say, you know what? I, 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 I messed up. I screwed up. I did, I did what I had to do. So I think it helped us. I think probably similar to where you're saying some of the things that you went through and did similar, right? Where you Absolutely. learned I mean, from them. Even my first three years with the Marines in Hawaii, you know, I'll I'll never forget this man's name. He was a staff sergeant at the time, Staff Sergeant Rubicaba. This guy beat me down to this little, you know, I was just, you know, what he had to. He had to restructure my mindset, you know, what was how I thought, how I felt, how I behaved, you know. And many, many, many years later, I sent him a message saying, thank you. I mean, if it wasn't for you, I'm not sure I would be the man I am today, mm. you know, and even that experience with the army, you know, I, it made me humble and cause I was very arrogant and cocky going in there as a very young corpsman thinking that I knew everything and I really didn't, you know, but I wanted to pretend I did. And, you know, unfortunately it didn't last, you know, I made, it was an embarrassment, not only to me, but my father who was still there. And then right. you know, it, they don't, they don't have a very short memory. So it was very, it was, I think that was the hardest part was being an embarrassment to my father. I think that was hard. You know, I, I had to move on from it, but I think subconsciously I held on to that for many, many years. 
but you know, eventually I was able to get over it, you know, but it was right. one of the things that it took time, you know, it, it wasn't easy, but in Lejeune, you know, I, I became a senior line corpsman and more responsibility, more management type. And I absolutely loved it. We did a small Iraq tent there, a stint there. We went, um, to Iraq for three months. Basically, there was a gap between when the Marine Corps was leaving and the Army was taking over. And it was between us and another unit that was going to go to Afghanistan. And that other unit that didn't go was going to fill that gap. So okay. my unit was the team was the unit that ended up filling that gap. So we were there from, I want to say, July to like October. So even my second trip to Iraq wasn't anything special. I didn't get, I mean, I saw some cool stuff, but it wasn't anything that yeah. was you know, oh my God, I, I got to, you know, I saw my buddies get hurt or anything like that. Right. I, if there's one thing, you know, I want to make perfectly clear, and I tell this to a lot of my friends or people that I've met before, is that my experiences in Iraq are probably the least common compared to all of my friends that, you know, were in the Marines or other fellow corpsmen. For whatever reason, my the cards just never played there for me to be in a combat situation. I was in a combat zone, but I was never in a combat situation. I mean, I had one experience when I was in Iraq the first time. I had a Marine that was complaining of chest pain, so I took him down to the cash, you know, or MASH as people, you know, people to like a hospital that we had. Yeah. While I was there, they they had a call that said some incoming birds. So there was a couple of helicopters coming in from bringing in some Marines that got hurt. So I walked up to the guy that it was late at night, probably three o'clock in the morning. I walked up to one of the doctors. I say, Hey man, this is your show, but I'm a Navy corpsman. If you need me for anything, just let me know. And the, the guys came in, I helped bring them into the hospital and get taken care of. But you know, that was a little, I want to say unnerving, you know I mean? Seeing, sure. seeing that, you know I mean? Cause I wasn't the corpsman that took care of him, and now I'm helping him get from the bird to inside to get further care. You know, that kind of stuck with me for a while. But as far as what I saw and what I did is probably nothing compared to a lot of these other combat veterans. Yeah, Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I'm in the same boat, man. I like for me with the a Navy, I, I, uh, I was in the Navy. Uh, let, let's just call it like it is, man. Sometimes when you're in the Navy and you're on a ship and you see all the Marines and everybody taking off and stuff like that, I, um, I, I, I saw them all go. And I know every single a, a bunch of them were really good friends of mine that they saw so much, right, so much and wore it and, and and they would bury it in their heads and they would bury it down and, and and we would have conversations like out for drinks and things like that whenever they would have a few drinks you could see some of those stories coming out a little bit more but what I, what i noticed is is that it the the defense mechanism that they put into play a lot of times is is you have to have that memory of going okay you know what i gotta shut this off right now because i got a job to do i gotta go do what i have to do when you don't really have the resources a lot of times the military doesn't give you the resources i'm just going to be honest and when when you need the resources to get the help that you need for the mental health side of it and everything it's really unfortunate they try to they try to you know what i mean like there's certain yeah. things that they try to be able to outfit you or even like if you get out of the military which we'll talk a little bit more in, a little bit later there's no real let me let me guide you and have a pillow effect for you to be able to go out and be in the real world. It's pretty much like if you're getting out, forced to or not, it doesn't matter. Here you are. The real world is there. Fly away, young bird, because guess what? You got to go figure it out now. And you're right. like, but, uh, but I've never had a chance to be a man in society. I've always just been a kid in the military. Right. You know and, even, I mean? 
even becoming a man in the military is completely different than right being a man in the civilian world, as I like to say it. I mean, mm-hmm. we when we came back from Iraq the first time, we go through you know a bunch of you know tests on a computer and you know people ask us questions on a piece of paper like here's here's a packet of paper fill this out you know there was no face to face with any type of real doctor or real psychologist or right. anything like that and in the marine corps mindset you know you don't show weakness that's just how it is right. you know right. you do not show it you know we are you know i was with the elite of elite when it comes to you know the marines you know those guys are hard charters and they're um, the tip of the spear. They're there for one reason. And that's just to mess stuff up, you know, right. I mean, go out and all to the wall, baby. Right. You know, and I'm not taking away from what, you know, other parts and other units do. I'm just speaking on my experience with my Marines. Okay. And, but it's like, they don't, they don't prepare you for coming back from Iraq. You know, I mean, I think after, you know, even PTSD, that acronym isn't that old, to be honest with you. I mean, right. and it's, still very much being learned amongst, you know, medical outside of, you know, the corpsman aspect of it, you know, doctors and psychologists are still trying to learn more about it. And it all comes down to different experiences. Right. Well, look, at, look, at, look at back in Vietnam days. I mean, think about it, right? When Vietnam was going on, and we had the jungle warfare going on, and these guys came back to an unsupportive environment, right? Number one, when they hit the, right. when they hit the streets, not only on top of that, they didn't call it PTSD back then. They called it manic or they called it whatever it was. Or these people were crazy or they, their minds were changed by the jungle. Well, listen, it's all a form of mind. It, it literally gets in your head and it literally doesn't go away until you can address it or try to address it in some form or fashion, whether it's medically, whether it's through medicine, whether it's through therapy or whatever else that's there. It's just unfortunate to me that that w- all these years, Ty, that we've been through in the military, that we haven't gotten to a point where our outpatient uh, strategy with guys that are in the VA, guys that are trying to be, I mean, like homeless on the streets and whatever else all over the place, we don't have a better strategy and a better plan in place to be able to take care of these people, including yourself or anybody else that has literally put their life on the line, whether they were in combat or not, it doesn't matter. They put their life on the line to be able to say, I'm going to fight for my country and we don't take care of them and, and, and nurture them. I think a lot of it is just, I think the, structure outside the military is absolutely weak. There is just nothing. I mean, there's programs and there's things that people can do, but when you're getting out and like you said, we'll speak more about it later, but when you're getting out that transition out, they don't teach you anything. They don't prepare you for that. And then if I'm one of those guys, that's not going to tell you anything about what I went through or how I feel or how I'm thinking or any type of thoughts that I have, they're looking at you. Okay, you're good. We'll see you later. Well, the next thing you know, you know, a couple months down the line, I've lost my job. I'm in a place where there's no structure. I don't know what to do. All I know is I drink. And then when I drink, I feel bad. And then I don't want to feel this way anymore. And then one thing leads to another. Right. You know, we, I think it's, we need to find that structure that we have within the military. And even though the, you know, as a corpsman, I want to say the hospitals could probably, you know, that PTSD stuff could be better. But again, we're still learning more about it. 
it definitely needs to be better on the outside. You know, it's funny, oh, not funny, but it's, it's I love uh, this conversation though, Ty, because of this. Here's the reason. I, I was just having a conversation the other day and everything we're going through right now with 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 COVID, with um, all of this stuff that we're going through where where we don't think of combat warfare, right? Like military and combat warfare, that's a lot of stuff that goes on in the head. You've seen damage, you've seen death, you've seen destruction, you've seen all this different stuff. But what's interesting is around PTSD, we are learning about it a lot, right? Like football players that have, uh, you know, uh, what is it? The, um, where they yeah. get concussions, right? Yeah, concussions, yeah. Yep. So they got all these different things that's going on. So we're learning about that part of it. I believe, and this is, I, I, was, I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I think we need to be prepared, to be honest with you, for the amount of trauma that people are going through just from this specific situation where kids are no longer in school. They're not around other people. And it's not warfare. But it literally is the brain and the brain sometimes when it can't handle or doesn't understand the dynamic of what it is, but they're forced to continue to travel through it and not have an outlet to talk about it. Right. It causes damage and it, it's a it's a it's all over the place. And I think that we have to be prepared for the fact that suicide rates or mental health or anything like that after this situation and our military, man, we we're, we're we got to be prepared for it. You know what right. I mean? It's, it's you know, and when you see that, you know, like a lot of the. You know, I got an eight-year-old daughter that is telling me she misses her friends. Right. You know, how do you explain that? What is going on to an eight-year-old where she can understand it? Right. You know, my young, my oldest, you know, is twelve. She'll be thirteen here shortly, and it's, you know, the emotional, you know, stress that she's going through because her friends may not go back to school. They're all going to do e-learning this year. You know, right. I mean, how do you prepare your your children for something like that? I know. And then you put that stress on adults who have children who have are full-time, you know, workers. And then we we have to figure out, are we going to have a babysitter? How are we going to do it with two working parents? You know, I can't, I'm not trying to downplay that. And then we're going to, they're going to need help. And then yeah. that PTSD type frame. And then you got the veterans on the other side going, hello, right. We've been here for how long explaining and screaming for all of this. And now, yep. you know, it's been, you know, it's a national and, you know, a world event and everybody has to take, you know, responsibility and try to get where they need to be at. But I think hopefully it will come to a place where there's going to be help for for everybody. And it will be something that, like you said, we need something when it when this explosion of feelings and necessities happen from all this coronavirus stuff right. that we can all kind of work together and, and find that happy place. Do you think, where do you think it's broken, Ty? Where do you think that um, our, like, system, I know, I, I love what you said a minute ago, because we're still learning. Everything is, like, we're literally in infancy stages of trying to be able to figure this stuff out, because the brain doesn't tell you exactly what's going on. My father died of Alzheimer's, and when he was going through dementia and all that stuff like that, nobody knows what the brain is going to do or how it does it. We kind of have an idea. But it's right. just, it, it literally has a mind of its own, and we're just trying to be able to navigate through to learn from it. So what I'm interested in is because I'm, I'm so passionate about the fact that we need to take care of our veterans and make sure that we are giving them and outfitting them with some resources. Where do you think the bro our broken part of the system is? Is it with the VA? Is it with the, the you know, is, is it their knowledge piece or education? Like, where, where do you think? I think there's two parts to it, at least from my personal experience. There's two, two parts. It's the doctors that are being provided for the military members. You know, some of them, the two that, because I went through three different um, what are they, psychologists or doctors that I could speak to before I found the one I needed. But there's two parts to that. It's the doctors mm -hmm. that have zero experience with 
what the military member wants to talk about. How right. am I supposed to trust you if you have no idea what, what, what I'm going to talk to you about? All you know is what you've read in books about what's going on. Right. What you've read on the internet as far as the wars that people have gone through. The other part is that is the military member, including myself, trusting the doctor right. enough to open up about it. We have to be able to open ourselves up and give that information so that way the doctors can do their jobs properly. Mm. Now, on the other side of that, we need the experienced doctors to, to have a better understanding of what we've went through. The doctor I'm speaking to now has been with the VA system for, I want to say, 15 plus years. So she has some experience that, right. that she can go back and forth on. She may not have the in-country type experience that I have. But at least she's, you know, veteran enough to within the system to have an idea of what to do. Gotcha. One of the things that she's very good about was not trying to push pills down my throat. And that I think is one of the biggest complaints from the military members is that when we talk is, well, here's pills. We'll take this medicine. We'll take right. this medicine. And it's like, I don't need more medicine. I got enough of that to, to last me a lifetime. What I need is, you know, and that's where it comes in. What do I need? Well, I don't know what I need. You're the doctor. Well, right. you know, so, you're supposed to have the answers, pal. Like, what so, are we doing? That's what that great period is at. I think that if the more, if the veterans and myself open up a little bit more, yeah. and the doctors try to find a little bit more versus just giving us a prescription, I think we could find that that place where it would get better. But it's not just on the doctors in the VA system. The veterans have to be able to work to get to where we need to be at, to get the help that we need. That's, that's insightful. That's really important. I think that that's, you know, uh, I, I have the conversation every November, every November I go through, I do what they call Movember. And I used to, what well, we used to do, shave our, shave everything off. Yeah. And then I would just grow a mustache. That's all I would grow this gross caterpillar mustache <laughs> that I would grow around. And what it would do is it would spark dialogue and people would say, Hey, why are you growing a mustache? That looks dumb. And so what I do is I, I tell them the reason is, is because I want to create awareness for mental health, prostate cancer, and then um, uh, testicular cancer for men, right? So these are the three areas that I was really focusing on, and Movember was, gave me the outlet to do it. But what I found was, and this is something that I found through the podcast, to the listeners that are here on the podcast, and then all the other people that I've talked to, is it's not just a man thing, but a lot of times it is men. Men don't open up about anything. Like right. they do, they, I'm a man. I'm macho. I can handle it. I'm going to put a bandaid on that seven inch cut because that's what I'm going to do. And I'm not going to the hospital for it. Right. And we don't talk about how we're feeling. We don't talk about our, 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 if we're sad, if we're upset about things, we don't talk about the pain that we might be like when the doc says, Hey buddy, how you feeling? Oh, I'm great. I'm good to go. Good to go. Even though your body is insanely in pain right now, right. but you don't want to talk about it. So not only on top of being a man in that environment of doing that piece of it, but then being a man in the military might also just amp that right up even more because right. now you've got to be even 10 times more macho when you go down there and you're like, Hey, I'm, I'm in pain about something. We don't talk about that stuff. It's like fight club. Right. I don't talk about fight club. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do my thing. So I think that's a really great point that you make that I think it's on both sides. I always talk about where is our system broken and how can we invest in and try to get people going the right direction and thinking about the right things and, and what kind of systematic things we can change 
But I like the fact that if we could call to action for our veterans to feel comfortable, the trust is the key, right? If they can trust who they're talking to. So maybe it's a, a whole mix of both, right? We take our doctors, we train them, we get them the way they need to, and then we build that trust with the with the with the with the patient to be able to feel comfortable enough to go, hey, I'm I'm not feeling good today. I'm 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 having bad thoughts or whatever else. Okay, now we can talk, you know. So really insightful. I like that. I mean, trust goes a long, long way. I mean, you don't think about it, you know, as much as maybe we should. You know, I mean, I can sit down with a group of Marines from all different units, not just the friends that I've had. And we could all sit down in a circle and within 30 seconds, we're all best friends talking about right. whatever experiences we have. And as a corpsman, as soon as they hear I'm a corpsman, it was like, oh, I love my corpsman. Oh, you're doc. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, I reference being their, their brother, their dad, you know, their, whatever, their confidant, their psychologist, you know, whatever it is that I was, I had to play many roles for my Marines, but we need to be able to have that type of person for us when we get out, you know, within the VA system. And there might be programs out there. You know, I, I'm not as familiar with the VA as probably I should be, you know, but the, the minimal amount of experiences that I've had with them, I've just not been very happy. No, I know. I know. I've had experiences with my dad with the Alzheimer's and they wouldn't, they wouldn't really help him. And, and the backlog that they were having, because what we did is we tried to be able to say he suffered a pretty bad brain injury when he was in uh, the Navy. He played on the a Navy basketball team up in Newport, Rhode Island and had a huge bad concussion, was out of commission for like weeks and weeks and couldn't even see light or anything like that. And then ever since then, we, we kind of noticed little things, right, little things that were going on. And then his brain deteriorated as he went at 67. He was like full blown Alzheimer's. Oh. And we went to the we went to the V.A., my, my, my stepmother, who was a master chief, my uh, my uncle, who was a, a colonel in the army and we all went to the VA going guys listen something happened in this situation here's the here's the situation nothing the VA said sorry we have a lot of claims we have a lot of things there's no proof can't do anything for you and i went okay this man invested 28 years of his life into the military to invest in to be able to spend time in the military sacrificing family sacrificing everything that's going on around there for the first country and for that and you you, you basically just shut us down like a number on a piece of paper and say, yep, sorry, out the door, which I understand because the work, the backlog is huge. Right. But but and to, and to your point, I don't know the VA all that much. All I know is every experience that I've had heard about or been around has not been good with what where we're at with the VA. You know what I mean? Same, you know, I mean, like that's where we're supposed to go for everything and anything. But right. you, know, you get guys that would just rather be in pain or, you know, drown it. Versus going to find help, which is, again, that goes back to the trust issue. I can't trust that they're going to do it correctly or do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, it almost feels like we're just sheep being counted to go through a system. Right. You need to get seen. All right. Well, let's give you 20 minutes to talk about 14 years of your life that you went through. Right. All right. What do you want to learn in 20 minutes? Well, here's some pills that will help you out. Whatever. Right. It's a cycle. It becomes that cycle. And and then we get the systematic stuff or or the issues where I'm I'm in Portland, Maine. I can I can walk right now down to Portland over to the homeless shelter and I can literally walk down the road and find at least seven, eight, nine, ten veterans that are on the side of the streets, signs saying I'm a vet, please support me, you know, like uh, whatever. And I'm just like, what what's where what are we doing here? You know what I mean? These these guys, even if it was a four-year tour, two-year tour, 10 year, 20 years. 
why we should be supporting these individuals to really help them and lift them up. And I know there's organizations that are out there that are really, really focused around that piece of it, right around, uh, you know, like Habitat for Humanity, but they have a veteran section and they've got all this other stuff that they're trying to do, which I'm so appreciative of and happy. But I'm also frustrated and pissed off at the fact that this stuff is going on around our country for a country that's built around the fact that these people gave and sacrificed everything they had for for the freedoms that I have to do a podcast with you and have a microphone in front of my face is for these things that these folks have done. So a soapbox moment, you know what I mean? But it's one of those that I'm passionate about. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you know, you talk about like uh, you, you brought up, you know, your the Vietnam veterans and what they went through. I was I went to a, a store down the road from us. Uh, Farm and Fleet is what it's called. As I'm pulling in, they have two spots there with signs that says parking for veterans only. You know, so I mean, it's like right next to the handicap spot. And as I'm backing in, I look forward and there's a truck there and um, the guy's got USMC stickers and Vietnam veteran and uh, Lee Army was my my drill instructor, the guy from, you know, uh, Full Metal Jacket. So yeah. I, I get out and I walk up to him and I'm like, excuse me, sir. I was um, I was a Navy corpsman for 14 years. I just wanted to say hello and thank you for your service. You, you know, you're the one that paved the way for, for all of us. And he just broke down. It was cool. Oh, wow. Gave me a big hug, was like, thank you. And he's like, you know, he, he almost got me in tears. And, you know, just like the, me giving two minutes of my day to that guy, you know, right. and yes, and back and forth. He was, he was a badass. He was one of the recon guys in Vietnam Ooh. and he was telling me stories and, you know, <laughs> And it was just like, it, it made his day for me to walk up to him and just say, what's up? And thank you. You know I mean? Like it's that type of stuff that I think that as all veterans, we all appreciate that type of stuff. But yes. it's, when you're talking about those vet, the Vietnam guys and it reminded me of that story. You know, I took a picture with them and I asked, Hey, do you mind if we take a picture? He's like, no, absolutely not. I mean, he was totally stoked. That's so, awesome. I mean, you know, a lot of those bad experiences, but there's some good experiences out there and so true. going on, you know? You know, I learned from my dad once. We, we we used to have this conversation. Every city that we used to go to, we would always try to swing by uh, the local VFWs. You know what I mean? A little place like that. Because I'm a veteran and he's a veteran. And we would always try to just swing by wherever we would go and just show our, you know, our ID or whatever else. And we would just go in and have a beer and hang out with some of the old old folks that are in there that are basically have all these stories, just like crazy stories. And And to your point, all it took was just that little amount of time for a younger generation to look at an older generation and say, thank you. Like that literally they would light up like, like a candle, right? Like a candle. And you could see they were, they weren't that happy. They were miserable. They're sitting at the, like some of them were just like, you know, just drinking some of those right. things that they have, but to have somebody come in and spend, like you said, two minutes of your time to invest in a veteran or invest in somebody to say, thank you, buy him a meal, do something, have fun, do uh, make a joke, have buy him a beer. It does whatever you're going to do is a gesture that can go so far in someone's life in a situation like that. That's, I love that story. That, that, that's really great, man. That's awesome. All right. So here you are, you are at the point where at the 14 year arc, or I know we're fast forwarding a little bit here, but you're, here you are at the 14 year mark and you are, you're at this point where you, you know, we all know that the magic number in the military usually is 20 years. If you get to the 20 year mark, you, you retire, you have all this stuff like that. You have a retirement pension coming in. You got all this other stuff and you're at the 14 year mark. And tell us a little bit about when you got out of the military and when, or when you were forced out of the military. Like, I mean, for those who don't know, you know, the Navy has to take tests in order to get promoted. You can pass a test 
but not get promoted. So there's a cutting score that the Navy comes out with, how they come right. up with those numbers, whatever. Either way, I found out in June of 2015 that I didn't get hit the cutting score. I didn't get promoted. I passed the test, but I didn't score high enough. I had to be out of July of that year. So I had just over a month to pack my house, find a job, find a school for my kids, and figure out what we were going to do with my wife and children. So, you know, thankfully, um, my in-laws who live in uh, outside of Chicago was like, you guys can come live with us until you guys get your yourself settled and your feet anchored and whatever you need to do. And uh, I had somebody reach out to my wife who gave me an opportunity for a job at a trucking company. So I got out in my last official day in the Navy was July 13, 2015. I started at my job that I'm still at right now in August 3rd of 2015. So I didn't take any time off. I went from one workforce to the new one, Mm -hmm. you know, and it was, I thought in, to me, it was more or less, I don't want to become lazy. I need to keep the work ethic I have and that mentality and just move forward. Let's just get on with it. The other side of it is, is that I sacrificed a lot of things for what I needed to take care of. I just buried all those emotions and feelings that you you found out in June. You had to get out of the out of the Navy in July. By August third, you moved your family from North Carolina to Illinois, and then started a job in August. Like there was zero time for me to even register what had happened or digest it or even figure out how to handle it. Right. You know, a little backtrack a little bit. So in 2013, I moved my family to California to hope to get through a school. I didn't get through the school. So 2014, we moved back cross country from California back to North Carolina. And then, and then in 2015, which was just about a, a year later, less than a year later, we went from North Carolina to Chicago. So, I mean, all of that within, you know, a two, two year time frame and the, what it did to my children, what it did to my wife, right. you know, right. what it did to me, you know, there was just not a whole lot of, we didn't have time to think about what that did to us as a family, what it did to my wife internally, what it did to me internally and mentally, like it just, it wasn't there, you know, and it was, it was a struggle without a doubt. Man, you did, you, you crossed the country twice. I mean, you literally went all, I mean, really, I mean, you think about, I move, I move a couple miles down the road and it's like a huge monumental thing that I got to go through with a U-Haul or whatever I'm packing up to be able to do. So you're going across the country and you got little ones and you got, uh, I mean, when, how long you guys been married? Uh, we'll be 10 years in October. So at this time it was about at what the five-year mark, right? Right. Was it around four years? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it, that's still such a fresh new marriage, man. That's still like, like literally, when you're looking at the fact of with babies, new marriage, you got all this other stuff. So there, I, what I love about what you just said though is, is that you never had time to actually register and be able to say mentally prepare yourself with, okay, here's what I, here's maybe the framework of things that I want to do. You're a grinder. You're like, you're like me. Listen, I, I, I'm not. My work ethic doesn't go away. I'm gonna bust my tail. I'm gonna keep on going. That's what I do, and that's how I'm going to do. Never really taking the time that you need to do sometimes to be able to say, how do I feel? Where am I at? What's my mental capacity of where I'm going? And how does my wife feel and my kids feel about all that? We're just going. I mean, for the guys, for the people that are listening, just imagine being 19 years old, right out of high school, joining the military, spending 
the majority 14 years of your life doing and dedicating everything to that job. Yes. And then boom, you're done. You, you're whatever you were working on, you're done with. Now go find a new job. Go right. find a new place to live. Go find a new school for your kids. Figure out how your wife's gonna go to school. I mean, like it's just I think about it now because I I'm, I've been able, I've had time to reflect on it, you know, and but it, at at that time, I didn't have, I didn't think about it. I didn't have time to think about it. No. I needed to figure out what I was going to do to support my family. Right. And on top of that, I've been on my own other than with my wife and kids from that time frame as well. But now I move, I move in with my in-laws to, you know, I mean, I love my in-laws to death. They've been very great parents to us. You yes. know, we bumped heads. You yep. know, they, I mean. My in-laws, I love my in-laws with a passion, but when you live with your in-laws, it's different. It's just different. It's different. You know, it, it hurt our relationship. You know, it's a lot nicer when you can visit your in-laws or your in-laws yes. versus going to live with them, you know, and it was a, it, all of our fault with how that, that worked and that dynamic. But, you know, at the same time, I, when you're by yourself and you have this rhythm of your own and how your family works, and then now you're adding a new family to it because you're right. living underneath their roof, you know, it's just, it was difficult. You know, yeah. I, it was, Probably one of the hardest things I, I tell people this all the time, getting out of the military was the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life because mm. there was nothing that the military or outside the military, the VA could have prepared me for those emotions and feelings and everything yes. I went through. Agreed. You know, I mean, even if being in Iraq for seven months or the next time around, I was there for three and a half, four months, you know, like you put me there again tomorrow, I'll know exactly what to do. There's, I won't miss a beat. It's easy. Right. So I know my mentality. I know what I need to do as a corpsman, how to prepare myself. I'm thinking about it right now as we talk about it. What am I going right. to put in my bag? How am I going to run my bag? What am I going to do with my Marines? You know what I mean? But then you put yourself in a situation like now and it's like, uh, right. what do I do? Yep. There's just no preparing for that. You know, and I think that the military needs to do a better job about preparing for people to get out. You know, I mean, some kids go in and do five years and that's all they want to do to collect that right. college pay and then go right into college, which is good. You know, I wanted to make a career out of it, you know, and when that now I am just as much as to blame for not preparing myself for, you know, better to study harder, to try to get, you know, past the test. I, you know, part of me waited way too long to be invested in, in studying for my advancement. You know I mean? I'm just yeah. as guilty as, as, you know, the people not preparing me to get out properly. That I'm not blaming anybody else or mm. making excuses because that's just as on me as it is anything else. You know, I'm not looking for sympathy. You know, even the letter that I'm, we'll get into that I sent you, it wasn't for sympathy. It was for awareness to to make sure that there's people out there who feel the same way I do. Went yes. through some of the similar experiences of getting out of the military and being able to share that story and the way you did it was like it was perfect. It, it gave this platform and this, it, you know, I think about it in a volume level, you know, like I, I can speak on it. I can share it on Facebook, but you cranked up the volume and you put it out on the airwaves for people to understand yeah. that you're not alone out there. And yeah, as much as it sucks, there's people out there that are experiencing it as well. Yeah. You know what? Let's get right into it, uh, Ty, about the letter, because, uh, you know, uh, here's the thing. I, I'm so passionate. I'm so uh, it, it it's 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 to the core of me, not just with the veterans and not just with people of 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 that demographic or anything like that, but people in general, right? There are resources and there are things for people 
that I believe wholeheartedly, like through the podcast, I've had so many conversations and I've had so many one-on-one emails and messages, wow. phone calls and everything sent over to me that said stuff like, um, and I was talking to another podcaster the other day, I went on his podcast and I told him, when you hear the words out of someone's mouth of you save my life, right? That's like, I, I don't even know how to, I don't even know how to handle that conversation, right? To literally look up and just go, I'm just, I'm a dude that was trying to lose weight that has like, that struggles mentally about stuff. And I, I talk about it on a microphone, but for me to understand that was the first moment that I said, wait a second, wait a second. This is therapeutic for people. This is a way for people to be able to say, okay, I'm going through some really tough times. I know that he is too, so I can relate to that story. And now I know that if somebody else is going through it and they're okay from it and they're getting through it and they're one day at a time and they're they're trying to truck through it, I'm going to be okay with that. And there, a lot of the, the 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 messages were like that, just like the messages I got after I read the letter from you or the email from you where I had veterans and I had other people going, I felt the same way. I felt the same way, but I had no help. I had no, there was nobody there to be able to try to pick me up. And even if some of them have come through it and not on the unfortunate side of the, the house where suicide and things like that happen, they le- legitimately on the back end reflect on it now and say, I wish I had known somebody else was going through the same exact thing and the same thoughts that I had that nobody can understand except for me. And if I if I had the chance to go get help for, to be able to get it, maybe my therapist could have known or whatever. You know, somebody could have helped me or whatever else. So there's two prongs to this, and I want to get your thoughts around this. Is how does it feel when I because I shared with you that I had a couple uh, communications. I asked them if I could share information of yours and things like that or whatever, and that that might be a little bit down the road. You know, they're pretty. It's a sensitive topic for many people to be able yeah, to talk absolutely. about, right? So how how do you feel? When you hear that, okay, so you've been through this, this, uh, what you went through and what I read through, and you can kind of recapture it if you want to, to kind of just touch on it a little bit and then tell me how it feels on the back end when you know that you've impacted someone's life like that. Like literally, that's pretty powerful stuff. It is, you know, I mean, like uh, when I popped into your live the other day, it was Thursday, I think it was. And we were talking and I asked, I said, you know, you brought up the podcast and the letter and, you know, I I asked, I said, hey, did you get any good feedback from it? And you responded, oh, yeah, this guy, you know, what if you can, what did you say? I I forget how you put it. Um, It it was the way he responded and it was, you know, the he was happy that there was somebody out there that, you know, felt the same way and he felt saved or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be that I had to pull over. I was driving because that affected me. Yeah. That's a big you know, deal, man. Heart, that, that, you know, I came home and I tried to tell my wife about it too. And I had to stop because mm. that's huge. You know I mean? Like you talk about the way it affects you. Like, whole. that's what I wanted. I needed that. You right. know, one of the, that's why I shared it because we've seen or heard friends that have decided not to look for help and to take their own way out. And I think that hurts worse than, somebody deciding to ask for help. You know, I mean, that is probably the most impactful on my heart and my soul that I I've ever felt, you know, and that's important to me, you know, and, you know, not many people have that opportunity to share it. When I met you and we started talking and building that trust, that's why I sent you that letter. So it, it meant the world to me that it touched even two people, even if it was just one, 
that's that's the point. That's the reason why I did what I did. We have to share that. You know, I talked about it earlier from the age of 19 to 35. That's all I knew was the military. Right. You're going to put me out in the real world and hope to adjust to that. Good luck. You, right. know, you know, within two years, um, thankfully, I had, you know, a friend that was, you know, I, didn't, I until now, until now I'm talking about it. I didn't really think of it as a as a mentor, but I had mentors in the military that helped guide me and put me in places that would make me successful. Right. But I have this friend here that until now, I, I never looked at him as a mentor, but he is because right. he broke me down again, got rid of this military outside and was like, you need to understand that this is no longer the military. Right. I, I can't have you speaking like in the military. I can't have you acting like you're in the military. I need you to act like us. Mm-hmm. We can't adapt to you. It's your job to adapt to us. It was was that that was like, I was angry, but it made sense. I would have been pissed, but then I would have been like, it makes total sense when you think about it from a high level, a bird's bird's eye view on that and goes, because I did the same thing. When I got out of the military, I was like, why isn't things like this? Why aren't people this way? What's this all about? You know, all these people not showing up to work on time. These people don't have any work ethic. What's going on with this? And that's such good advice. Listen, Conform, not that you have to be late for work or anything like right. that, but you know, conform to your surroundings and be able to adjust and pivot along the way to help you to be able to become acclimated to it rather it being acclimated to you. Exactly. That's pretty big. And then so within that time frame, you know, I started in August, a third of 2015. By September 2017, I got promoted to supervisor. So two-year time frame. Yeah. So it took me a year or so to kind of get over that and then finally find my rhythm. And, you know, in 2016, and then I got promoted, you know, it was like, I listened to what he said, you know, right. but I, I said he was until now, I never looked at him as a mentor. He was just a friend. You, you know, know what you should do? You know what you should do after this podcast, you call him or text him and say, listen, you were a mentor. Thank you yeah. so much. <laughs> well, you know, and I've thanked him many, many, many times, you know I mean? But I've always looked at him as a friend until now. Right. I'm like, Damn, you know, he is a mentor, you know, but right. we associate mentors with what was in the military, you know, but there are mentors out there for, you know, life guidance or mentors for, right. you know, I mean, like even you, Shane, I, I can consider you a mentor for me. You know, you gave me an opportunity to, to share my letter. You all, you know, you shared it through your podcast and then you're giving me an opportunity to come on and talk about it again. You know, that's, you know, you're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. No. We can really help guide you to where you need to be at. But this, to me, is one of probably the most therapeutic things for me to be able to get that out and talk about. And the guidance that you've even given me in our conversations outside of TikTok and between our text messages has been everything that I needed. You know, you, you think about the friends that you can make, but there's some friends that just understand you more. And that's where, that's where those veteran communities come in. And you've yeah. been for me. So, you know, I'm like, I, again, the mentorship part of it, I appreciate everything you've done for me. And, you know, I'll tell my buddy, I'll call him up afterwards and say the same thing. You know I mean? It's one of those things that we have to find our, we have to find that outside of the military. And I think that made a big difference in, in a role that I went through. 
Yeah, I, I think you're I think you're on to something though. If you're thinking about ways to be able to so for anybody that's listening, if it's if I got because I do have some veterans that listen and everything else and 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 the podcast is always out there. So when anybody's listening to it, what I always try to do is I always try to leave if I'm doing an interview with some nuggets of just some things, tips and pointers, ways to be helpful. And I think that's one of the most important ones, Ty, is this. There are people that are out there that can be part of your tribe and can be part of your mentor, can be part of your family. You have to be able to open your eyes and your ears to find them, though. You've got to go. You, sometimes you got to dig. Listen, yep. you and I met on TikTok. Who would have thought on a children's app that people are out there dancing their booties off and every, everything else that I'm going to be connected with a veteran, a good guy, a level-headed, somebody that I consider to be a friend as we go back and forth with things, an internet friend, no, mind you. But literally, at the end of the day, I found on TikTok this community of people that are all like-minded, that are like, I, I'm, I'm surrounding myself with positive influences, with people that are just like, hey, listen, I, they check on me. They send me texts going, how's your day going, man? You know, uh, I, I didn't see your coffee uh, mug in the morning this morning, so how's it going? I'm like, oh, it's on the way. Don't worry about it. But all this different stuff that I found this community, I think that's a really important piece as we're talking about transitioning. Like from your letter at perspective, when you were said you got out and you you felt hopeless. It was like, I don't really know how to feel with all this stuff. If you had somebody right then and there to be in your corner, to lift you up, encourage you to know that that's your tribe, literally, I, I guarantee you, you probably could have traveled through that so much faster without so much of that powerful pain and suffering and angst and it, let me beat my head up against the wall. Right. I have somebody I can talk to about it. We need those people in our lives. Right. And you know, it, I'm glad I went through the experience. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, I'm not happy the way I felt, you know, I mean, the letter it's, you know, like there was a point in time where it was dark for me and I didn't think sure. I would come through it, you know, and, um, it was, if I would have had that person there, you know, would I have, I look back and I reflect would I have been able to open up just like we talked about earlier, right. I have to be able to open up to this, you know, yes, probably would have helped if I had had a veteran there with me to, to talk you know, somebody who's been experienced through it and walked through it, you know, and then I getting over the embarrassment of why I got out and how I got out, you know, I mean, yep. that would probably made a world of difference on my mentality and how I approached that next year or two of my life. Right. And I think that's one of the reasons why when I when we opened this podcast, I, I, I said, what's broken, right? We talked about what's broken. What I feel is, is if our VA or our veterans administrations or whatever, VA or, or, or help facilities or whatever it is, therapeutic places, psychology places or whatever. If we could literally sit down and just have a faction of military support to have people be able to have a conversation. And like you said, they got to trust you. Right. But the right. VA folks, a lot of the VA folks I do know are former military, uh, former military or people that have been, you know, in the same shoes that we've been in. So there is a little bit of that connection piece of it, but I don't feel that they're armed or trained in the way that they should be to be able to say, I got to be able to just be an ear for this person. I don't need to pump them full of meds. I don't need to do any of the stuff. Like you said, literally just be an ear, let you know that this is a safe environment. You could, you, I could literally paint, uh, peel the paint off the walls. If you want to screaming and hollering, if you want to put, your fist through a, a, a fake wall if you want to or whatever. I'm here for that. Right. That's okay. And we need more of that because sometimes you just have to do that to get your frustrations out and get the stuff out. We just don't know how. 
and and then we and then we then we tip it into a bottle or we tip it into drugs or we tip it into all these other things our veterans or even just people suffering in general and then we we have these coping mechanisms that come into play that are just they're, they're not they're not healthy and right. they're not a true way to be able to fix the problem of where we're at you know and you know it's it's you bring up you know we need that that outlet you know we need um my buddy adam he's on tiktok he's his name is uh at recall roster is something that he started where um if the website is the recall roster.org uh, yeah the recall roster.org and he started this it's basically the idea behind it is a chat i'm gonna put all these group of veterans together that can talk to each other and reach out so he broke it down by branch. So each branch, Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, or, you know, Air Force. Sorry, Chair Force, didn't mean to forget about you. Ah, they always get forgotten. Always. always. Coast Guard over Air Force. Anyway, he breaks it all down, and he's got this spreadsheet. And within that spreadsheet underneath Army, it will have all the jobs, or MOSs, or NECs for Navy. And it breaks it down by job. And it, it's got names and ways to contact these people that you can relate with. So as a Navy corpsman, I could go to went into this website, I can go to that menu and it's still in its infant stages. So it's still getting brought, you know, to where it needs to be at, but sure. it gives me an outlet to go find, okay, is there a corpsman that I can talk to that's a veteran? Oh, look, here we go. He, and he was an FMF corpsman. All right, awesome. I can get his phone number. So this, this chat or this website is giving us an opportunity for me now to be able to help that guy that's going through what I went through, you know, oh, five awesome. years ago, you know, and Adam is the recall again at TikTok. He's at the recall or at recall roster on TikTok, and his website there, you see it is um, the recall roster.org has done an amazing job getting this together. And it's an amazing idea, you know, and it's something that I'm going to put my 100% support behind him I actually, I think I tagged you in one of his videos on TikTok. You know, I told him to try to get in contact with you. I mean, I think it's, you know, we talk about my letter and the things that it did for, you know, for people to hear it. I would love to see you guys have a chat on one of your podcasts or one of your videos. To oh, yeah, man. Him. I'm passionate about it anyway, so I would yeah. love to. So, I mean, this is something that, you know, and it's outside the VA. It has no affiliation to do with it because – him, myself, and many other veterans are tired of not getting the help that we need. Right. Well, now exactly. here's here's your opportunity. There's no more excuses. We have a way for you to reach another veteran that you know went through that job as a corpsman. I can go find another corpsman that went through there on that on that. It's a recall roster. The whole concept of recall roster is when you're in the military, I'm going to call you and you have to come back to base. There's something going on. I, here's my phone right. number that I can look up. I need to call each one of these people. Well, now it's I can call any of these people to reach out and ask for help. I don't have yeah. to be alone and think alone anymore. I can go on this recall roster and and get the help that I need. Even if it's just let's go get dinner, let's go have a beer, let's sit around a fireplace, whatever the case, whatever you need to do for us to be able to communicate and help each other, because that's what we are there for. We have to be able to help each other. And that's exactly what we were just talking about, right? So, what what great great segue into that? By the way, I I I just set that up like a volley and serve just now. Yeah. So, literally, is there's a solution that we have at our disposal? Anybody that's on this podcast or on this live cast or on YouTube, 
go check it out or send veterans to so we can build a community for everybody to be able to rely on each other, to be able to lift each other up. Even if you are a veteran that doesn't suffer from anything, it doesn't matter. It's a veteran. The community is, here's the thing. Hey, buddy, you've, you've been successful. How have you done it? Tell me more. What's the resources? Like, right. how have you gotten through the things you've gotten through? I love the fact that if we are building a community and we can bridge any kind of communication from one person to the next to outfit everybody with tools and resources, I'm 1,000% on board with that. So the website's right there, guys, the recallroster.org. If you are on TikTok, you can find the founder, right, founder of, of, the, of the organization at Recall, Recall Roster. And then also I do have uh, uh, Doc's name right here at the doc right there. You see the little underscores on there. If you're on TikTok, you can find him on there too to be able to connect with him. Listen, outside of us talking about all this really, really good, important, uh, you know, stuff that we have to talk about, he's got some great things that he does over there with, uh, he lip syncs all these videos. He does all these like all classic, classic rock songs, Top Gun references. Yeah. I mean, come on, man. I love it. I'm an 80s baby. So, man, I try to get as many of those references as I can. You know, it's, <laughs> It's amazing how many people are like, man, I missed that song. Or I love yes. that song, you know? Every time you do it, I'm always like, oh, I could, oh, like whenever you're lip syncing like a Top Gun or you're, you're doing like what I'm just like, oh, man, this is so fantastic. <laughs> it's so good. But I think it's because, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm an 80s baby. I was born in the 70s, but I'm an 80s baby because I, I experienced all that as a teenager, too. So I was like, whoa, now it's like really my in my wheelhouse. But I, mean, I was raised on it. I was born in 82. So, I mean. My yeah. parents raised me on all what we call classic rock, but you know, I mean, <laughs> yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. All right, man. Listen, Ty. Listen, uh, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the podcast here today. I really appreciate you uh, telling some of your story here. That's yeah, it's hard to right. It's hard to be able to open that up, especially for what I what I want for people to do is for veterans or men in general. I'm not even talking about just veterans. Men in general should take an example here of what Ty's doing, what I do on the podcast every day, and take our advice in saying that you just have to reach out and talk about it sometimes. You got to talk to somebody because if you harbor those things in and you box them in, trouble brews. And next thing you know, everything from heart disease to stress to suicide to everything happens with men that shouldn't be happening to because they couldn't express their feelings and they couldn't express the way that they are emotional about things. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, and so. it's, it's, it's important, you know, I mean, take it from me. I mean, I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want anything to do with it. And and now look at me, you know, I mean, it's like I said, it's a therapeutic way. I mean, we got to get it out. You can't, yeah. you bottle this stuff up and it just makes, it made my marriage harder. It made my relationship with my kids harder. And, but once I got over it and, started talking and getting it out, it made life a lot easier. And that's it. we just got to do it. You can't harbor those things because it's just going to reflect everything else that goes on around you. We talk about positivity and the mental positive and the positive vibes. If you can't have those positive vibes and that positive mentality with all those negative garbage that you got going on and trying to bury it, because even like, you know, the, your trash can, you can put as much trash as in there you want, but eventually it's going to get full. Then what? You know, there's a place that it's got to go, man. Yes. You know, that's, we, we just got to get it out. 
I agree. I agree, man. And I, I, I couldn't have said it any better. I, I feel like we, um, I feel like when you trap it in, I, I've been there. I've been there. And and I used to do it with food and alcohol. Those are my two coping mechanisms, right? I was pushing 400 pounds because I was depressed. I was down in the dumps. I wasn't feeling good. Uh, you know, I didn't have the military anymore. I didn't have camaraderie with my friends anymore in the military. I didn't have any of that anymore. And so I went all the road of, of food and alcohol for me. And so when I, when I finally was able to start to have conversations, including this podcast for the last three years, therapeutic for me to get up every day to be able to write down my thoughts and think to myself, here's where I'm at, here's where I'm going, and actually have a conversation with my wife about it rather than I'm not going to talk to her about it because I'm just going to get pissed off or she's going to be angry or whatever. But instead, we have sit-down time where we go, let's talk about it. What's on your mind? Where, how are you feeling? And she does the same thing with me. That's a huge deal. We need that in our lives, man. That's huge. I'm gonna, I'm you want to marriage, you talk. Yeah, I'm going to take that idea. You know, my my wife and I were just having a conversation about something similar to that. So I think yeah. we'll, I think I'm going to take that idea and and run with it and see what she says. I'm sure she'll be all for it. So oh yeah, no, yeah. My wife's like absolutely. Where I'm like, I don't want to talk. Come yeah. on, like, uh, come on. I don't want to talk about that. We're talking about this right now. Seriously, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's designated time, so at least you can mentally prepare for what's going on and what's going to happen next. So exactly, exactly. All right, Ty. Listen, um. We're just over the hour mark here on the podcast. It was a great conversation, um, a really good dialogue. I, I hope to have you on soon again. Maybe if we get uh, get your uh, what's your what'd you say his name was on the recall Adam, roster? Adam. Adam. If right. we get Adam on there, I'm writing that down to make sure that because I, I have to take notes because I forget everything. So uh, <laughs> if we get Adam on here, maybe all three of us can get on there. We'll have a little three way call and kind of talk about what his objectives are and what we're really trying to work with and and what we can outfit in any way that I can help on the platform that I'm on. I'm all for it, man. Let's go make some differences and make some uh, impacts, you know? Absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. You know, it was important for me to, to try to follow up with that. So thank you so very much for bringing me back on here and, and giving me the opportunity to speak. It means the world to me. No, me too, man. Me too. The conversation was great. All right, guys, you guys all know how to be able to reach out to me uh, via the email right up here. I got my uh, email, liquidshano1973 at gmail.com. If you guys want to become a patron of the show, all you got to do is go to patreon.com slash liquidcoffeetalk. You can get on there, help to support the show, buy new microphones, all kinds of great stuff. We can try to be able to bring more and better quality to the table. But I appreciate all of you. I appreciate this conversation. We'll be talking to you guys soon, okay? Have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Please do us a favor and leave feedback and a five-star rating on whatever platform that you use.